Hey, how's it going? It's Doug Bird here, your host of the Something Fresh podcast, where we talk about all things sport, adventure, and lifestyle. To bring these conversations to life, we connect with people who make things happen in this space, be they industry leaders, athletes, influencers, or progressive thinkers, to name a few. I'm super passionate about this subject, not only because of its ever-changing dynamics, but also because of the role that it plays in our daily lives. The aim of the show is simple. Create an environment where people can learn through the experiences of others, be they established role players or new kids on the block, and hopefully through that, become inspired into action in some way. If that's not up your alley and you're simply here to listen to interesting conversations, then that's cool too. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the show. Good to be back and in your ears once again. And we're coming to you from a new studio. Well, at least it is for this recording. The Tiny Empire is a really well put together shared working space in Cape Town, South Africa, in Harrington Street. If you're ever in this neck of the woods and you're looking for a place to rent a hot desk for the day or be in an office like we are today, then uh, check them out. It is a, it's a cool vibe, eh, Jadot? Yeah, prime uh, acoustics as well. Yes. We're loving the echo. There's four of us in here. <laughs> <laughs> there might be the odd uh, construction noise coming from north of us. <laughs> yeah, but that's the vibe. It's, uh, that's what we're all about. We, we broadcast to you or record wherever we are, and we like to keep, thing, keep things real. So we stoked about that. Keeps us and on our toes. It does. It keeps us <laughs> on our toes. feel sorry for the editor. Oh, wait. That's J-Dog. That's J-Dog. <laughs> Cool, man. Well, yeah, it's good to be back. Um, we, I must say, I've really enjoyed the momentum that the podcasts have been generating um, over the last three episodes and into season two. So thank you for listening. If you're returning, if you're just joining us, welcome to the Something Fresh podcast. My name is Doug and I'm, I'm here with Jason. And we are going to be talking about something that I think many of you will find useful because you've either you know, had one in your garage for the last 10 years and it's really dusty and now you've gotten it out your garage because you've had more time on your hands and you're working from home because of COVID and uh, you need to upgrade it. What are we talking about, J-Dog? Lawnmowers. <laughs> <laughs> How to buy a lawnmower with, with uh, Doug and J-Dog. I cannot help you there, unfortunately. <laughs> I do have one, but uh, I just walked in and Bought the one that was there. <laughs> yeah, give me that one. Which is what probably a lot of people do with mountain bikes. Yes. Yeah. What we're actually talking about today. Mm. How do you how do you go about buying a mountain bike? Mm-hmm. Always, I suppose, a relevant question because there's always new people coming into the sport. But particularly uh, nowadays, we've seen a big influx of uh, of riders, and you and I both know have had our own experiences of trying to buy bicycles and making poor uh, buying decisions and being led astray by bad advice and being helped out by really good advice from from good friends who know what they're talking about. I feel like you're you're young enough where you've never bought a bad bike or made a bad purchasing decision with your money. Yes. <laughs> yes. More <laughs> recently, right. perhaps. But when you yeah. were buying your first bikes, I feel like that it would have been... Uh, yeah, your dad it, would have it, it felt the brunt of that. It was definitely the bank of Vince Bull. <laughs> but I certainly made uh, poor decisions. I suppose you learn something from each each purchase. Um, We've all done it. If yeah. you haven't, you are a lucky person. Yeah. <laughs> share with us. Maybe you should uh, call in. We'll have you on the podcast. But yeah, at least do, we can share. Do we have it. phone lines now where people can call in? We can definitely make it available. <laughs> <laughs> J-Dog's number is 082. <laughs> yeah. So look, it's... 
more and more people onto bikes, um, which is fantastic to see. There's more and more people trail running. I mean, these are things that we notice here in in Cape Town and South Africa, and we know through our friendship networks and event networks and others that we know in this kind of industry that it's not just uh, down in the Western Cape, it's throughout South Africa and for the most part throughout the world. Um, I've got family that live in Australia and similar reports there that you know more and more people are are buying outdoor uh, equipment to do things, whether that's four by fours or camping equipment or mountain bikes or trail running shoes. People, I think, have rediscovered their love for the outdoors and they're investing their money into it because, hell, you can't travel anywhere, so you may as well have a good time at home and get fit. There's so many upsides to it, but it can be quite a tricky process, um, especially when it comes to buying a mountain bike. Yes, we're, we're categorizing it as a mountain bike now in this podcast, the principles will apply for the most part when you're buying any bike really so uh, that being said there will be certain elements that are slightly more technical but you should have a very well-rounded idea of what to look out for and what to avoid and when going on, on down this journey and i think disclaimer up front it's important to to note that we acknowledge that the sport of cycling is expensive um, it's not necessarily the easiest sport to get into because things are so expensive. But there's also a lot of really good equipment out there that is affordable um, that will get you into the sport and get you up and riding in no time. The illusion that you need to be riding the best of the best to have a good time is absolute nonsense. But making smart decisions on a few key elements in buying your bike will go a long way to making sure that you have a really good time riding bikes. And ultimately, that's the point of this podcast is to help you make a better purchasing decision and to get you out there having as much fun as you as you possibly can. And it's something we've talked about quite a lot. And there's a couple of key principles, J-Dog, that you've unpacked very nicely. Yeah, hopefully to to help people. Uh, I suppose it all starts with the question of where do you start when you wanted mm. to to buy a mountain bike. Uh, you've either got out that old uh, rusty dusty <laughs> rig that was hiding in your garage, or your mates lent you a bike and you've got out and you you just decided that this is uh, this is for you and you want to do more of it. Uh, I'd say you could start in many places in that uh, that buying journey. My advice uh, would be really start with thinking about the kind of riding that you want to do because as much as maybe to uh, the untrained eye a bicycle looks like a bicycle mm. and any bicycle is going to do anything for you you can ride whatever you want on any bicycle but yeah as bikes have evolved over the years they've become very specialized for certain purposes and if you go into uh, your bicycle buying um, journey with a with a good idea of what kind of riding, obviously that'll that'll change as you experience it more. But a good idea of the type of riding, whether that's big long marathon stage races, which have been popular in the South African mountain biking scene for years, or if you you like the look of this trail riding that you're seeing your mates doing, and a bit <laughs> of the gravity, um, gravity side of things, or you your mates got to pick up uh, a bucky. Sorry, we're in South Africa, <laughs> and all he does is get a. Uh, kid is made to drive him up and down hills all weekend and you shuttling downhill runs then you might want a specific bike for that so go into go into it with a clear idea of of the kind of riding you want to do and then and that that's yeah. that's more often than not though determined by what your mates are up to yeah like it it can be quite tricky to establish what type of riding excites you if you've not got any friends in in your circle that you can kind of rely on um, so 
I think also something important to note up front is that don't rush the decision, like take the time to research things properly, because not only is it a big spend in the end, um, the enjoyment that you derive from riding is going to be directly linked to the bike that you're on. And if you're on the wrong bike on the wrong terrain, you're really not going to have a good time. And it's important, it's important to be patient. And, and it's, and it's, it's almost impossible. You, you're never going to get the right bike off the bat that's going to grow mm. with you through your entire journey. So I guess in this as well as like get comfortable with the fact that if the bug bites, you're going to end up within your first four years of riding, probably owning, going through two to three bikes. Yes, I yeah. think that's realistic. Um, but but start start with what you're surrounded by because that's also another thing is riding's not like running. You know, you leave your front door with your trail shoes in the back, drive 10 minutes, put your shoes on and off you go or run from your door. Um, riding, you've got it, there's a lot more to it, like helmets and gear and tire mm. pressures and all those kinds of checks too. And because that adds on time to your day, um, generally riding from home, if you're in a position to be able to do that and you've got easy access to trails, um, then then choose a bike that's going to suit where you're at. That's definitely very important. Yeah, and exactly, as you said, who you're riding with. Uh, chat to your mates who, who you're going to be planning to, to ride with and talk to them about the kind of bikes they're riding. And if they're good friends, I'm sure they'll help you make, <laughs> make a good, uh, good buying decision. Look at the kind of terrain you're in. If, you, if they're very steep hills, mountains around you, like we're used to here in Cape Town, mm. um, they're bikes that are better designed for, for that kind of terrain, for better climbing uh, and steeper, steeper descending. And a bike that's built for it will also make those steeper descents that might be quite intimidating a lot easier to ride than you than you might think. I know I've stuck my flatmate on my enduro bike and sent him down the glen, and he hasn't ridden a mountain bike in in years, and he cruised through it mm. no problem just because the bike's doing a lot of the a lot of the work. Of the work, yeah. So pick the kind of riding that you want to do, whether it scares you or not, and and yeah, start with start with it. If you've got a friend who is clued up. Um, who can help you that's rad otherwise i mean you can you can attempt to understand what the internet is trying to tell you <laughs> where you're going to find differing opinions left right and center L loads of opinions but do spend the time on researching it i mean if you go onto our youtube channel for example we've we've got this exact episode on how to buy a bike in the video format and we've actually got bikes on screen and we talk about the details of geometry and suspension and braking and tires and all of that which we'll cover here as well but there, the, I think the, the 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 overriding point in in this phase of the conversation is that there's there is now such easy in the in in like 15 years ago you had to go and buy a print magazine to get an idea of what was out there and particularly living in South Africa you didn't really have access to a lot mm. of good material and information but obviously now with this new thing called the internet <laughs> sorry um, you can just uh, apparently the click of a button and get all of this really useful information it's it is easy to sift through a lot of the nonsense like follow on on the major platforms really to get to get useful info on what you should and shouldn't be doing while there's obviously a good option for that but some other recommendations are pink bike vital mtb enduro mtb we're now going into kind of more um, enduro specific stuff there with enduro mag but the point being is you know despite the fact that your mates ride bikes and they have their opinions and views on things you should and shouldn't be using it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be right for you mm. 
the same way when you walk into a bike shop they're going to try to sell you what they have like yeah. if you walk in there and you're trying to buy a 120 mil marathon bike with two bottle cages and they don't have one of those there's a very good chance they're going to try and upsell you onto something else or sell you a gravel bike <laughs> which which isn't a win-win and sadly that is more often than not the case in what happens with with newbies walking into bike shops you're very easy to spot and so take the time do the homework and don't don't get sold on something that that doesn't suit the ideas or the ideals of, of what you want to do that's that's a very important thing and uh, once you've decided which genre you want to move into um, all about demoing ride as many demo bikes as you possibly mm. can that's honestly the only way that you're going to be able to truly decide um, what what you're into you you'll know when you know there's there's no particular feeling we can describe that you got to look out for when you first kissed your wife you knew that she was going to be your wife <laughs> if you're not married when you first kissed your girlfriend if you don't have a girlfriend you'll figure it out <laughs> you'll know when you know relationship advice from Doug you didn't see that one coming <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that that for me is is also it's a process that I didn't follow like I did I relied a lot on on mates and and that was cool like it was definitely mm. useful um, you had some friends in, in good places too yeah very fortunately to set you up for that absolutely but even in uh, even within that ecosystem um there was some terrible advice that i got mostly from bike shops where i ended up spending way more money than i than i needed to in the end um and that's from a purchasing point of view but a servicing point of view as well so i uh, yeah i guess that's a big part of why we're sitting here and having this conversation is that hopefully you guys and girls can avoid those types of scenarios by making educated purchasing decisions um there's been a lot that's changed in the last three years of bikes most notably most notably around geometry and you know what is or isn't the right bike and is there one bike to do all things and i think there it's the global trends are easy to spot slacker head angles and yeah. longer wheelbases and slightly more travelers is, is the way to go and i guess uh you know that's a big change from steep head angles and 100 mils of travel you know five years ago if you said 120 mils on a marathon bike guys would think you were crazy now it's standard practice i see the new santa cruz blur that launched today is launched with 120 mils of travel and a 2.4 tire like if you said anything above uh, like a, a 2.0 tire um, five years ago guys were like you're crazy man that's like a tractor tire <laughs> you're riding downhill <laughs> exactly um but yeah we maybe get into a little bit too much detail there but the global trends are easy to spot so try and follow what those are and i think that is a good segue to deciding on whether you want to be riding on a you know the next part of the conversation is riding a hardtail whether you want to ride uh, that or a, or a full suspension bike yeah that is yeah something maybe would have thought hardtails were going to going to fade out as full sus bikes became more efficient peddlers and the performance benefits uh, were shown and there's still brands making rad hardtails with updated geometry which i mean there's some newer hardtails which i've heard might even be riding better than a slightly older full sus bike just because of the power of, of good geometry yeah. how they set up those those angles uh, on the bike's frame oh, i was we were curious probably about a year and a half ago now maybe even longer was, we were curious as to how hard you could ride a hardtail that with, with nils yeah there's a madman here in cape town um owns 
Woodstock Cycles. I think so. Uh, Nils Hansen, such a legend, rides anything. Gravel bikes, road bikes, enduro bikes, hardtails, you name it. And he's got this spicy um, enduro-ish hardtail <laughs> bike that he races the local enduro series on and has got podiums and won his category on. Um, so, you know, if it's a question of is a hardtail capable, without a doubt, it, it's definitely is capable. Ultimately, as with anything we tell you today, it's going to come down to your skills mm. as to what you can, can do with the bike. Yes, of course, they're horses for courses. But if you have got good technical skills, you can have almost as much fun on a hardtail as, as you can on a full suspension bike. Yeah, for sure. Um, the budget variances between the two are big though. Yeah, so that is, that's the big, uh, big upside, I suppose, on the hardtails. You generally, there's less hardware uh, in terms of suspension on the bike. And so you do have price savings there. It, is a, it isn't as comfortable a ride for one, mm. and the rear wheel traction is uh, not on the same level as that of a full sus bike. And that is, that's really where the performance uh, comes in from the full sus. It's going to help you absorb big impacts on the trail and then also keep that rear wheel stuck to the ground. And if you're riding through bumpy terrain and your back wheel's being chucked all over the place, you'll know, uh, you'll know what that's all about. We'll get to know what that's all about. And so, yeah, if you if the trails around you are quite smooth and they're not calling for a lot of suspension, a hardtail could be a good move. Some people, like Nils, you mentioned, 8500 Mervils comes to mind, local yep. enduro racer who's only recently decided to to give up his, his hardtail uh, ways of riding. Some people just enjoy it. Mm. And, yeah, it's a different kind of riding. I've even been, like, thinking, like, it could be cool to hop on a hardtail just for the fun of it. Definitely won't catch me racing <laughs> enduro on one. Yeah, I mean, these, these top-end race bikes now, the dual suspension bikes, are super fast. Like, the, the, benef like the, the performance benefits that you would find on a hardtail in an environment that would suit a hardtail are almost neutralized now mm. by the top-end dual suspension bikes but there you're going to be paying a lot of money um so a hardtail as jason said you know if you're in an environment where your trails are smoother you're going to get great performance benefits out of having a hardtail over having a dual suspension bike and there's still loads of places to ride i mean personally speaking if i lived in the Karoo or a place that had access to endless gravel roads i'd probably end yeah. up riding a hardtail yeah. with like a 2.4 tire and maybe 120 mils up front just takes yeah. the edge off the small bump and and uh, and you and you're good to go because there's a lot of pedaling efficiency in a hardtail. Yeah, for sure. So long as the, the terrain is smooth. Yeah. yeah. So as as we said earlier, test the bikes out. If you like the, the feel of the hardtail, might be what suits you. You can certainly learn really good skills on a hardtail in terms of line choice, how you move with the bike, um, how to manipulate the bike and there's definitely benefits to that there's always the the age-old myth of you have to learn how to ride on a hardtail which there's a bit of truth in that there's there's good skills to be learned there but it's not there's probably plenty of up-and-coming enduro riders now who've never ridden a hardtail in their life who definitely know how to ride a bike <laughs> yeah. show anyone yeah. any of us up and i guess they were talking to like the performance end of the market like if you're getting into this because you're you're seeking performance then that journey of starting on a hardtail isn't necessarily a bad one. But if you're if you're wanting to get into this just because you're wanting to to get out and ride two three times a week, get a little little uh, a little bit more fit and a, a focus on your health and well being, which I think for the most part m many people are that's that's the motivation. It's not necessarily to get into it from a performance point of view. 
it really would be hard, hard and and also your initial investment up front it's great value in a hardtail bike mm. and the reality is now is that because bikes are in such high demand within your first six months to a year if you're looking to then move over to a soft tail bike because you're finding you are enjoying or would you you would prefer the the comfort aspects and the control aspects and the performance aspects of of a full suspension bike then you can sell your bike and and move oh. on the, the second hand market is very strong mm. at the moment which again they actually conveniently segues to our next topic of conversation is do you buy a new bike or do you buy a second hand bike i've never bought a second hand bike and never no i only started riding really late only six years ago and yeah at that point i was uh, in a position to be able to afford a new bike and and the rest of my bikes when i did used to ride we bought by my folks so yeah but there's so many platforms that you can use um, in South Africa, in particular, Bike Hub jumps to mind. Most of you listening in will already know that, but uh, there's some really good stuff out there. And there's a lot of people who just have to have the 2021 <laughs> new geometry, yes. or in this case, it's the same geometry as been for the last three years with this, the new color. <laughs> um, and they're happy to lose uh, lose uh, money to, to upgrade. Like there's a lot of those types of deals around, maybe less so now because everyone's trying to find bikes. But yeah. what, do, what do you mean? Like, buying a new bike, I mean, we, we talk like the, the principles of buying a new bike are, are more based on what we've already talked about and deciding hardtail, softtail, what terrain am I riding and so on. But there's a lot more to it when you're buying a secondhand bike. Yeah, you do want to be a bit more particular um, because of the the wear aspect. This bike's been used, um, which does mean you can generally get uh, sort of more bang for your buck. Obviously, the bike isn't going to be brand new, but you can get a relatively new bike that's got maybe a better component spec uh, than what you would be able to get for the same money buying a new bike with not much difference really in in the geometry, etc., there's that, that one risk of going a bit too far back down the timeline with the second-hand bikes. It might look like a really good deal, but as we've mentioned a couple of times already in the podcast, geometry is all the all the craze nowadays for good reason. There have been mm. really significant uh, jumps in, in geometry development over the last yeah, five, five years. It's been significant. But why? I mean, why is geo so important? I mean, what... How's it? How's it? Why is everyone so focused on? How's it been a game changer? So the geometry of the bike is, I'd sort of say, the medium through which you interact with the trail as the rider. So all those angles that they've set up, the angle of that your fork is coming up into the bike, the length of the, from your pedals to the rear axle, the length of your, to your handlebars, all those, uh, all those angles and distances have been being more fine-tuned as bike designers better understand how the body interacts with the bike and whether a longer front center of the bike is actually going to be more beneficial it's going to make you more stable on the bike there was a lot of push towards really short rear centers of the bike that that chainstay length the rear axle to your pedals and now they're starting to realize that maybe too short is a thing and, and starting to go a bit longer it again is a thing to get, especially so. for for tall people yeah and i suppose geometry maybe becomes more significant the further you're on the extreme end of the of the spectrum if you if you're not, really not extreme in terms of riding ability <laughs> in terms of body composition yeah. if you are a really really tall person like doug isn't then <laughs> <laughs> no, doug is a tall person if you've never met him uh, look up two meters 
It's a curse. Yeah, it is. A, I definitely don't envy your position. But yeah, for the really tall riders, only now are we really starting to see bikes with long enough reach numbers to, to try and accommodate um, such a big frame. So if you're buying further back in the timelines, 2018, mm. 2017 bikes, it's really unlikely you're going to find a bike to fit you. Most riders are probably going to be more in the middle of the range, and there it is just performance. Hop on, like yeah, like we said, go and go and test ride a, a brand new uh, bike that's on the on the shop floor if you can find one, mm. <laughs> and and just feel the difference in how the bike bike performs. Uh, it's noticeable when you're buying secondhand. Also, do your best to to get a bit of a test ride. Obviously, the person selling it isn't going to want you to go and hurtle it down too many mountains. Because then. Well, especially if, if like if you walked into my garage and wanted to buy a bike from me and you asked for a demo ride, um, I would definitely say no because I've ridden with you. And oh, I, me I see, personally? Yeah, I see what you do to bikes. Yeah, hopefully I don't need to be buying any <laughs> bikes second hand. Even going to shops for demos, they're, they're a bit like, mm. Well, the problem is, is because <laughs> all of your testing is documented on our channel, so people know exactly, <laughs> exactly what to expect. <laughs> Why is J-Dog's wheel making that noise again? Yeah, <laughs> yeah so if you can test ride, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll feel the, the difference for yourself. Yeah. So that that's why you don't want to go too far back in the timeline when looking second hand yeah. because of those geometry advancements. Look, it, it's a, it's a trade off. Like if you if you really want to get that bargain and you don't have uh, the budget for something that is more modern, we're also not saying that those bikes like in the twenty sixteen to twenty eighteen generation are bad bikes. Mm. They're just not what the new bikes are now. And guys used to do crazy stuff on those bikes from a performance point of view when i say crazy i'm not necessarily meaning like downhill and stuff. i mean really like you'll be comfortable out there riding on on like a 20k road ride on the weekend with your with your family or if you 50k gravel ride like you'll still get a lot of joy out of them but if you are more skewed towards the performance aspects or performance attributes of a bike you need to obviously be sticking with bikes that are more current um, and there was a there was a very big shift. I would say 2018, 2019, almost like a watershed year, mm. where it had been five years of R and D and 27 and a half inch wheels and 29ers and like head angles discussions were like what is the optimal reach and all of these other things. Like 2019 into 2020, everyone pretty much knew what's up. There are a couple of brands, obviously, that outliers and really pushing the boundaries still. I mean, that's where progression is going to come from. Um, but the reason I'm highlighting this is that, uh, you know, there's something for everyone out there. Um, your budget isn't going to hinder you from being able to get out there and ride. It just where it might hinder you is whether you're getting the most up to date or something that's slightly dated. But the slightly dated stuff that we're talking about now isn't bad gear. It's good mm. gear. Yeah. No, I think that there's yeah, there's definitely something to be said for that. Yes, bikes aren't from yeah three four years ago aren't aren't bad mm. at all. But yeah, you will certainly notice the difference when comparing to to a new bike. And we ride yeah new. Um, we're lucky. New bikes, we're very yeah. fortunate too. And and yeah. we know the what it's what it's like to ride those bikes, and we want people to to experience that because it's it's rad. It's so rad. <laughs> it's crazy. Like when you're so my background of bikes comes from riding a 120 mil travel bike, and all of my mates for the most part were riding 140 travel bikes and up. Part well, 
half of my mates. Then the other half of my mates were riding like the more adventurous stuff. So doing stage races and, you know, the bike that I wanted was um, 120 mils of travel, 125 mils of travel on the shock and 140 mil travel on the, on the fork. I actually bought an aftermarket fork to upspec it to, to being able to handle a bit more trail because at 120 mil, it was pretty scary riding with my mates that were on the, <laughs> on the bigger things. But the point I want to make here is that when I was riding with my mates that were riding more trail, it wasn't that they were riding trail that was super crazy. It was that, and, and that I couldn't believe they were riding it. It was more the case that I was looking at the terrain through the eyes of riding it on my bike. Mm. And the the experience that I had on riding, of riding my bike on that type of terrain was pretty hairy. Like the control wasn't great, but in reality, the bike wasn't built for that. Mm. And when I finally managed to move up to a more um, trail-oriented geometry, suspension configuration and so on, I couldn't believe how rideable that almost unrideable stuff became overnight. And it just changed my... It, it almost reinvigorated my love for riding bikes because it got a bit stale at one point. I felt like I wasn't progressing. Um, so there is immense value in trying to stay reasonably current yeah. um, in, in, in looking out. You're buying a new bike, it's easy because you, you choose yeah. what you want. Um, second-hand bike, you, kind of, you are kind of 30% taking what you can find at this point. Um, but yeah, game changer, game changer. Horses for courses. Yeah. on the right bike on the right terrain it's like you don't ever want to stop riding yeah i think like it'd actually be interesting to ride it now but i end of start of 2017 got on a rocky mountain altitude second hand was like their full race edition spec to the teeth i picked it up for about 30k and with only a bit of wear and tear like generally no uh things that immediately needed to be replaced and that bike was rad like there's even stuff now that i rode on that bike which i'm like don't even know if I'd do that now. <laughs> so, yeah, your skill level is gonna gonna be the ultimate uh, determining factor. But the bikes make a make a difference there. They help. Yeah, they help. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So that's in terms of age of your second hand bike, and then of course it's second hand, so it's been ridden. You might find uh, that odd gem that's that's been knocked like twenty percent off the showroom floor price because someone bought it took it for a spin around their parking lot and gave it mountain biking uh on that day and a bike that's yeah, hardly been used but generally the secondhand market the bikes are going to be uh fairly well ridden and you want to be aware of that going into it so don't believe that uh <laughs> the, the bike barely got 50ks on it and when <laughs> you can see the drivetrain looks like it's uh been for two grand tours around the <laughs> better part of the crew yeah so those those are those are things that are going to be quite tricky to to check out like some of the moving parts if you are inexperienced um for example chain wear um you're going to need a particular tool to do that so our advice is that if you are buying a bike through someone in your network of friends or you're buying it somewhere online is go to your local bike shop ask them to do a general checkup and overview and and an assessment of what would need to be replaced um, immediately if anything and if not replaced immediately then uh, would be need to be yeah exactly because ultimately that will it 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 is an important thing to consider in your total budget for your bike if you're buying a second hand bike and you've got 30,000 rand to spend for example 
um, and you spend that all on buying the bike but then in six weeks time you need to spend another 15 because your drivetrain's gone and your brakes are finished and you need new tires or you know hopefully you're not buying something that is that far gone um, then then that's going to put you under pressure the advice there would be to rather shop at the 25k mark and then you know have a bit of cash left over to to make yeah. the necessary repairs mm. that you that you need to make um, alternatively and i've heard of people doing this is don't be shy to to push on the negotiation on, on things um, so if you've had the bike checked out and there's certain items that need to be replaced is to is to speak to the owner of the bike and saying listen you know i'm happy to pay this price but then i need x y and z to be done ultimately you'll figure it out um, but don't be shy to to negotiate but also definitely make sure that you take a bike in to be checked out by people that know what's what's happening because things that you can't see like bearings um, and bbs and uh, brake pads and those types of things chains cassettes they do add up in terms of costs and you want to know what you're in for yeah no definitely keeping a bit of cash aside is, is a wise thing to do even if you you're buying new because chances are the saddle the grips uh, your bike probably won't come with pedals so that's something to consider those won't necessarily be perfectly right for for your body you might be able to get along with them for a while I'd say a saddle is definitely worth worthwhile investment. You don't need to go over the top and spend twelve grand on a S Works <laughs> saddle, as some people do, and bless them, they can do that if they want to. But yeah, a saddle will last you for a long time, and, and finding them one that suits your body is going to be a great move. Grips will all wear out eventually, and so you can maybe just get along with the, the pair that comes on the bike. Mm. Um, but down the line, you're going to want to put on something that's that's comfortable, suits your hand size. Like if you've got big hands, you might want a thicker. And those are only things grip. that you'll figure out over time, anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. And then pedals, you those help. Yeah, those do lot. help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it's a part of the you know people getting into it now, like the conversation between going with flats or with cleats. I mean, really, like with any of this stuff, it's it comes down to personal preference. Say the vast majority of people do ride with cleats. Um, it's definitely a more, uh, far more efficient way of riding a bike from power delivery and, and control in many cases. Mm, Sam Hill agrees with you strongly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in other applications, you know, flat pedals are traditionally only ever ridden by, by people that are focused on on more like the hardcore enduro and gravity scene because you need to be able to and and obviously BMX and others. Um, but if you're, you're you're listening in here, you're unlikely one of those riders. And yeah, cleats, you know, you can't go wrong with, with like Shimano XT pedals. They're mm. well priced. They're and lost yeah, you'll buy, them, you'll buy them once. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's probably the way to go. But it's also, you know, while you're demoing these bikes, those are things that you can ask the bike shop that you're demoing the bike from if they can put on flats for a couple of days and then put on cleats for a couple of days. Um, cleats somehow people are intimidated by and I get it like you know no one wants to be that person pulling up to a traffic light and you forget to unclip and you fall over even if you're not at a traffic light just in general terms Um, I still do that in the parking lot (laughs) yeah get comfortable and understand the fact that uh, or accept the fact that it's going to happen it's happened to absolutely every one of us and it only happens once or twice and then you'll you never really forget to to uncleat again when you come into the stopping positions but Mm. I would I would tend to to say that uh, cleated pedals are the way to go. Yeah, 
they're not a, they're a sensible decision and so can flats be like i've got mates who who ride have been riding for ages and uh, flat pedals and they they dig it I, I enjoy spending a bit of time on flats here and there certainly similar to the hardtail story you can learn really good skills mm. on the on the flats because the bike isn't stuck to your feet so you are a more confident to try stuff knowing that you can eject off the bike and then you also don't have that cheat of being able to just pull up on your feet and the bike coming with you and you you learn a lot more about how the bike moves but that being said yeah you can't go wrong with cleats or flats whatever uh, you feel more comfortable on if you wanted to do long big stage races and, and gravel missions then the cleats are a more efficient pedaling platform um, but yeah try them out see how you see how it goes don't be afraid of the cleats that's no. that's don't let you don't let fear of falling over in the parking lot keep you from <laughs> from experiencing the wonders i mean even sam hill who i mentioned earlier who's well known for winning everything in the gravity space on flat pedals he reckons clips are better he just can't get used to them now because he's been riding flats for so long and they don't hold him back that much clearly <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah so in terms of these moving parts uh yeah just just keep an eye out for them um well rather make sure that you're thorough in in checking out uh, the, the the wearable parts or the worn parts on the bike What's also quite important to ask um, in the second-hand bike market is is to try and get some sort of service history. Mm. I mean, bikes don't come with a service book that a mechanic stamps every time. If you find <laughs> one with a service book, then go for that. Bikes. That person has definitely <laughs> been looking after the bike. Yeah. But it, it's important questions to important questions to ask, and 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 then just sense check you know what the person is telling you versus the the wear that you can see on the bike, and, yeah. and kind of you can determine whether you feel they're being truthful or not yeah, but, uh, get that second or third opinion from a yeah. good mate or, or a bike shop don't so, be afraid to to ask mm. yeah. so we talked a bit about the like the worn part aspects of it which to be honest are like the easier parts but like what are the no-goes like what are the big issues that people need to be aware of when when buying a second-hand bike so there's obviously damage you don't want if the bike's broken <laughs> which is a no-brainer but yeah on carbon frames and even aluminium frames it can be Hard to tell sometimes if a frame's damaged. The carbon frames will generally creak, uh, creak a bit if they are damaged, and it takes a, a trained ear and or rider to to pick up that kind of thing. And it's not always the end of the world, but you don't don't risk it. It's not worth uh, mm. worth paying for the bike, and then the frames cracked and breaks uh, irreparably, and the bike's out of warranty now. So, yeah, so that's definitely something you want to be aware of. The Aluminium frames generally tend to crack along the along the chainstay, yeah, and welding points. Uh, carbon frames crack anywhere. As well, Who knows? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Look, to be to be fair to carbon frames, though, it's mostly from impacts. Mm. I've not. Uh, In terms of stress, they can handle higher stress much higher than, stress, yeah. than aluminium. Yeah. But yeah, so there's crashes uh, onto rocks that'll that'll do a carbon frame. Mm wheels uh you'll probably see a bit of wobble and flex in a wheel if it's more than a couple mils then that's a bit of a, a warning sign a couple mils can be straightened up at the, at the bike shop they'll check that spoke tension but if there's a big uh, big flex in in the wheels a good chance that rim would need to be replaced and all spokes uh, even tires sometimes can deform uh, deform a bit mm. and yeah tires one of those other more minor wear and tear parts that you probably going to have to replace if it's a second-hand bike um have to replace within the next couple couple months if not immediately 
But yeah, wheels, frame damage, suspension. If they, if you can see significant wear on the actual stanchions of the mm. suspension, if if the color has been rubbed off there, then that's a big warning light that the suspension has been serviced regularly and for, looked after. For people listening in that that do ride frequently, that don't think you ever have to service your suspension. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> you absolutely do Please. need to service the suspension, and it works in fifty and hundred hour. Two hundred hour. 200 yeah. is it 50 100 200 50 and 200 okay i've got the 50 100 on mine okay for full so your lowest service will happen at 50 hours and your well a full service at 100 yeah. maybe that's why your forks Probably i literally dickish. just got the email from tram i can tell you really <laughs> yeah that's crazy 200 okay. hour service that's uh well then i don't have to get my bikes mine service for the I next two years second hand it's <laughs> suspension's been well looked after yeah yeah um, but be that as it may 200. whether it's 50 100 200 ultimately just uh yeah look at your fork on mine look at see, your fork see what the recommended um, service intervals are yeah and do your best to stick to those yeah and when when buying them part of the service history is to ask around the suspension and if the person you're asking looks at you and with a confused look on their face <laughs> then, uh, then, then know Run. that uh, that uh, and 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 this is like equally like frame damage and wheels like you really need to to make sure that suspension is is in good nick and operational because they're expensive it's expensive yeah. yeah yeah very much so i think the last one on that list of of big checks would be your bearings mm. um if the bike feels like really crusty to cycle through the suspension that's a, a giveaway but yeah the bearings might be to check them properly, you need to take the, the linkage the linkage off, which is a 30-minute job. It's not too major, uh, but it does require a bit of know-how. Yeah, that's the thing. Eh? I'm always that guy. I'm like, I want to give this a go. And then I put it all back together again. There's like, like two bearings and three washers <laughs> and a nut over. left. I'm like, ooh, <laughs> where are these from? <laughs> but yeah, replacing a whole bearing set because they're quite worn can cost you a couple hundred, even a, over a grand, depending on how many bearings the, the frame has. So those are something to note. And... Not a not a deal breaker if the bearings need replacement, no. but it is somewhere where you could negotiate that price down a bit. Yeah, and I, I think that's a, a good way to summarize before we move on to the next point. Is like deal breakers are not things like tires and drivetrains and brake pads and grips and and bearings. Like deal breakers are damaged frames, damaged wheels, damaged suspension, um, because you're in for a lot of money. Um, you know, other elements aren't necessarily all that cheap, but you're shopping for chains at anywhere from 200 to over a thousand. Right, yeah. But you, there's lots of options in between. Same thing with pads and like tires as well. I guess it really depends on on the type of riding you're doing will determine the costs. But yeah, those are always things that you can upgrade over time. Um, the others are, I suppose, you could upgrade over time, but it's they're not they're far from cheap. Mm. So. Yeah, I'd say that those are the those are the important points on buying a, a second-hand bike. If you follow those, um, you'll you you shouldn't be disappointed. Yeah, no, fair enough. And uh, new bikes, I suppose. If you're buying a new bike, you're probably going to be more selective, and uh, and now more than ever, it it can be quite a confusing process to to do step one in our process of uh, deciding what type of riding you want to do because there are road bikes there are gravel bikes there are gravel bikes with suspension there are hardtails there are softtails 
there are short travel dual suspension bikes, there are down country suspension bikes, there are trail bikes, there are enduro bikes, there are mega enduro bikes. Don't, forget, don't forget all mountain. All mountain bikes and there are downhill bikes. Yes, yeah. Mini DH, super enduro, DH, free ride. Mullet. Dirt jumper. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so which course, one's going to be the one Just pick you? one of those out of a hat and then... <laughs> So it can it can be quite complex trying to decide. I mean, there's all those different Bikes categories. I'm yeah. saying with inverted commas here because a lot of them blur the lines uh, of that. And this is where your test riding is going to serve you because you're going to ride the bike and you're going to feel like, oh, this is insane mm. going uphill. But I really feel like I'm going to die every time I go around the corner <laughs> on the way down. Yeah. Or oh, this is comfortable to pedal uphill and it feels really rad and stable on the on the descents and I feel like yeah I could get out of 60 km a day on this on this yeah. bike or actually it's a bit too heavy it's a bit too sluggish those test rides are gonna serve okay. you better there yeah and I think you know setting up this last part of the the process or at least the new bike process is by by kind of running through all the different options that are out there is to actually just simplify it for for you and um, you know road bikes you really aren't going to be able to go too wrong with with what you look i mean the the performance attributes on a road bike and the real changes there like yes geometry related but there it's more weight mm. um it's your wheels it's those types of things um but the variances in geometry on on mountain bikes is significant but what we're seeing and this is why i mentioned it earlier is looking at global trends and where things tend are, are moving in terms of mass market um purchase of bikes it is in the, dare I say it, down country space. So down country is a bike that is of 120 mil, 130 mil of okay. travel. That's the range. And then trail bike would be between 140 mil and 150 mil. If you are in that space, um, then you are going to be finding a bike that you could ride comfortably on a stage race and mm. um, that 120 130 mile, you can ride the cape epic you can ride the joe big to see put on slicks you can ride the argus you can have no you can do that on the 140 150 mile bike as well um, but that i would say as a as a recommended starting point for us would be where you should you you should seriously consider those mm. types of bikes because um there's pretty much nothing you won't be able to do on those bikes and you will have a lot of fun doing it on those bikes if from there you decide again off the premise we said earlier and that you will likely go through two to three bikes in a four-year period if the bug does bite it's i would say it's the better place to be starting from because if you're starting at that down country or that trail uh, level of travel you're going to be carrying a lot of confidence into whichever direction you head if you go to less travel you're going to be more confident on the bike because you know more or less what to expect than the other way around. I've come from the other way around, which is hard a lot mm. of the time. And often um, I was holding the bike back and going to the 140 mil travel bike and then going back to the 120. I was like, this 120 is so much fun. <laughs> like it is unbelievable. And I love it now. It's like so cool. Pity I don't have it anymore. But um, yeah, it's a... Uh, at least my advice or my experience has been go for that sweet spot 120 to 130 more travel and and you're golden but then i'm going to leave the tech geos talk up to up to jayla on that i mean i suppose we we probably summed it up already in the conversation like you're looking at new bikes some are going to have slightly better geometry on on the whole most 
well-known bike brands are going to have up-to-date geometry that's going to allow you to to get the most out of the bike in terms of the climbing performance the descending performance uh, and everything in between um yeah if you're into the technical stuff then yeah go look at those geo charts see particularly reach is a big mm. one in terms of fitting you uh being comfortable with your length uh, as a rider and then you might have an idea of uh whether you want a more yeah, the more stable rider is going to have a slacker head angle, a longer wheelbase, longer chain stays. Um, or if you want something that is more nimble and playful in those shorter numbers, generally that's the rule of thumb, but it does vary a bit and test riding is, is where you're going to learn. Yeah, in terms of components on the new bikes, obviously wear isn't something you have to, to look out for. There are wear and tear parts on the new bike, such as the drivetrain, which you generally will have to, to replace down the line. And so trying to get the, f the fanciest drivetrain on your new bike off the bat isn't necessarily no. um, the best idea. For me, I think uh, brakes and suspension are, are parts you want to be more concerned about when buying yeah. a new bike. Those are going to last you longer than your drivetrain. And, and have a, like a, a significant influence yeah. on how much you enjoy it. I guess before we move on to that, though, from a component's point of view, to put some real names to it, like if you're shopping at the XT or the GX range, or even, I mean, the new SLX Next, stuff yeah. is, is good. Um, the yours even really yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. Um, I wouldn't personally go much below GX on SRAM. Mm. Um, it's, it's not robust at all. Um, so you kind of want to be shopping GX up on the SRAM, but anything from like the dual level stuff on Shimano, you, you're really not going to mm. have any problems there. But also in, in learning recently, um, that it also depends on the configuration of it in terms of the lifespan. So I'll give you my direct example of what I have on my bike now is I've got a GX cassette, I've got a GX derailleur, I've got an XX1 chain and I've got a, yeah, it's an aftermarket, it's a line, it's a line front chain ring yeah. 32 and the front chain ring is not that important um, because it's a one by. So yeah, that configuration gives you uh, not necessarily, well, it isn't the lightest cassette, but it's the hardest wearing. The GX is a robust and shifts well derailleur, but the chain is of the highest quality that you can get. And as a combination, I found that I've got around 30% more lifespan out of that drivetrain mm -hmm. than I have out of just a full GX build. Um, for example, the chain being, being very, like changing the game there a lot. So the, those are the types of things that you will learn over time. Um, but yeah, shopping in the GX uprange and SRAM, yeah, Dior really on, on Shimano up, you, you're not going to be having any real problems. And the best part is there is that spares for the most part on any of those components are really easily or readily available mm. and they're not super expensive. Yeah. And all the all those different product lines are generally interchangeable as well. Yeah. So you can make a plan. Yeah, that's it on, on components, I'd say. We'd both uh, strongly recommend a dropper post, especially if you are into the more trail uh, trail side of things. But really? even like, I don't know, man. <laughs> even on the gravel bike, Doug. Uh, yeah, we, we Doug. Rode, uh, rode that Karoo Crossing, which is a gravel ride. Um, and yeah, whatever, 300 and something Ks. And I had the dropper post on, on my bike there. And even on those long descents, I mean, so how long was that? It was like 6K descent on one of the passes. Yeah. Just so nice to change your body position um, and take the pressure off your back and your hands. 
um, you know, funny speaking to Farmer Glenn, who's the founder and owner of the of the Sony to see. Um, he was also, you know, three years ago, dropped a post, what is this nonsense? And now, I mean, he's, he's literally, yeah, I mean, whether he's riding on the road, gravel, mountain bike, the drop is there. So, yeah. There's even talk of them making an entrance into the road bike scene now. Now uh, they should, you know, I, allowed to sit on the, on yeah, the downtown. Yeah, can't aero tuck on, yeah. uh, on, on, on road bikes that's anymore. And sick. fair enough. I mean, that's <laughs> freaking ludicrous. Let's face it. Okay. <laughs> it's just completely reckless. But that's, I mean, that's also part of it. I mean, I've ridden Argus on my mountain bikes on many occasions, which is Argus uh, is the Cape Town Cycle Tour. Um, and just dropping the seat post and being able to tuck in, you're far more in control. You are completely mm. relaxed and you're actually really recovering on the descents as opposed to being in this awkward position. position fearing um, for your life and cramping yeah. in the thigh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the, the biggest things on the bike for me that, that I changed and, and something that if you're buying new, you should seriously consider. And if you're, if there it is available in the secondhand bikes is, um, were for me the most noticeable, we obviously drop a seat post, but I'm really tall and, and tires, man. Yeah. That made such a big difference. Obviously everything is important in the ecosystem. Um, but those were, the tires can change the feel of a bike drastically completely yeah. your control it's uh, your braking efficiency um uh, or your braking effectiveness um you know if you putting if you if you have the braking power but you don't have the traction then it's of no mm -hmm. use um but at the same time if you've well in the worst case scenario don't have braking power or traction it's like <laughs> so yeah things get out of hand they can they can yeah so those are components you want to yeah take special note of when when buying the bike check with your bike shop if there are any particular benefits you get from them in terms of service plan uh, and just help down the line that can be one of the big benefits of buying new uh, some of the some bike sales are direct to consumer and they, they you do tend to miss out on those kind of benefits so you want to weigh up those and see what you're going to need mm. um, and then yeah as with the, the second hand bike set aside a bit of cash as well for grips pedals saddle tires you might not need to to slap a new set of each of those things on as soon as you get the bike but yeah certainly down the line the kind of things you want to invest in to yeah just help you enjoy the ride more you have you more comfortable and getting the the performance out there that's that's easy to attain if you can spend on those on those items and then once you've spent the money and you've got the bike forget about all that technical stuff put on your helmet put on your shoes fill up your water bottle and just ride it yeah and understand that or at least get comfortable with understanding uh, that you will always be uh look i'm trying to think of a nice way to say this you the bike will always be able to do more than you think it can. Yeah. <laughs> the bike isn't holding you back. Mm. Especially <laughs> if you've got a new, yeah, new yeah, bike. Yeah, exactly. Um, you'll be absolutely blown away by what these things are capable of. And to get caught up in that almost like analysis paralysis of like the micro detail of things is, you know, spend time on working out what your suspension pressures need to be. Spend time on what your tire pressures need to be. And once that setup's done for the most part, just ride your bike and the tweaks will come naturally over time. You're like, I wonder if I change this or change that. And that's how it evolves and enjoy the process. Like I really enjoyed that process of figuring out or getting closer to that point of finding those little two, three, four percent mm. gains in control, for example, or comfort or whatever it might be. Um, but 
it is easy to overthink it is easy to get intimidated by a lot of information but again just be patient don't rush it and you will find the bike that is that is right for you and then hopefully we see out in trails yeah that would be a win yeah so thanks for tuning in we hope that you found this one useful and um, if you haven't checked out our website head over to wildair.ca.za where you will find our entire suite of multimedia for you to enjoy uh, check out in the description below uh, to links out to how to buy a bike in video form Jason's also done a fantastic job there of talking to specific technical points like bike setup, suspension setup, brake setup, tire choices, all of those good things. So all the information is there for you to use and hopefully you can benefit from it. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next time. Cheers.